that better? There we go. Thank you. Glad you're here. Want to kind of get started this morning, and uh, lots of lots of things going on in our midst, and um, we kind of take this time every week. If you're visiting with us, a good time for you to see, kind of get a peek into what we do. But we take this time every week to kind of just take a deep breath and get some perspective on uh, on things. This week, um, I uh, actually, I guess it's been a couple weeks ago. I was my family came to surprise me at the airport. In Indianapolis, I'd been gone in San Francisco all week, and it was one of those really long trips. And uh, they came to surprise me at the airport, and I, I didn't even know they were surprising me. I got to Chicago, and it was bad weather. And when I got to Chicago at O'Hare, I got a note on my phone that said my flight had been canceled from Chicago to Indianapolis. So I just sent a quick t- text to Risha and said, it's going to be longer than I thought before I get home. Looks like my flight's canceled, and I don't know when I'll be coming home. Well, she was getting ready to surprise me, so she got the kids all excited and got them in the car. They were already headed to Indianapolis when she got my text that my flight was going to be canceled. So she sent me a text back on, oh, that's awful. We were going to surprise you. We're already on our way. The kids are going to be devastated. So I'm, I'm, at, uh, I'm, I'm sitting at O'Hare, and she turns around, drives back, and she tells the kids, she just says this, Daddy's flight's been canceled. And now, London understood that to mean that, oh, daddy's not going to come home. We've got to turn around. He's, he's going to come home, but he'll, he'll get another flight, and we'll turn around and go back home. Reese took that to mean, daddy's flight's been canceled. He's not coming home. <laughs> and he panicked. Like, not the kind of just crying, like, totally uncontrollable. Risha finally got him calmed down and realized that he thought daddy's flight had been canceled, and he wasn't ever going to see daddy again. <laughs> And the problem is, Reese had a, had a, he didn't have all the information. And he couldn't see the big picture, you know? And I think that, that some of us sit today in the pews, not much different than Reese when it comes to our life. We, we see the, the bad things, we get the bad news, or we have a hard thing, or something physically doesn't make sense. Somebody passes away, something happens in our life, and we can't see the big picture, and we jump into this panic. And God, I just feel like God might look down and go, no, 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 no. You don't get it. You don't see the big picture. You don't have all the information. And so what I'd like for you to do today is whatever you got going on in your life, some of you have some things going on in your life that are unimaginable. Some, some bad news, um, some, a bad year, a bad month. Some of you had some great things going on in your life. And I want you to know, even if things are going great, you can't see the big picture. You don't know what's next. You don't know what God has planned. So we would be foolish, and we've said this a lot around here, we would be foolish if we started to kind of make plans based on what all the information we're getting. If Reese did that, if Reese had started making plans, he'd start trying to figure out what it's going to be to, to do life without Daddy now because he didn't have all the information. And, and what we do on Sundays is we come in and we sit down and we go, God, we've had a long week. This has been crazy. I've taken control of my own life again. I forgot that I'm not in charge. And this is a great opportunity. If you're here today and you've got a mess going on in your life, or even if you've got things good, just to stop and go, all right, I don't have all the information. I don't have great perspective on my life. And it'd be ridiculous if I didn't go to the only one who knows what's coming next in my life. So that's what we're doing. We're going to take a deep breath this morning, um, give you an opportunity to kind of get right with God, um, to get a moment of perspective, and then we're going to jump right into the story. Let's do it together. God, we thank you for the way you love us. 
We pray that right now in this place that You would give us this deep breath of peace. That in the midst of our bad news, in the midst of our crazy lives, God, that You would give us some perspective on who we are. Those of us who have kind of tried to take control of our own life this week and have, have kind of worked past you and without you, right now, God, we, we pray that you would forgive us of that and that you would take over again. So we listen today to your word. We listen to what you have to say, and we know that we need to quiet the things in our life so that we can hear you, and we do that now. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we're still in this series called the sermon. Uh, series is called the sermon, called the story, um, and it has been a long series. I have calculated that we are on chapter seventeen, week twenty-two um, of the story. And uh, if you've missed any of them, um, go out online, check it out there, ParagonNewLifeCC.com. Um, all every sermon that has has been in this series is there, um, and you can listen to it. It's been fun, um, and one of the things that it's, it's given me, just as a preacher, is some perspective on, on the whole story together. One of the things that I love about the way that humans tell stories is, that, um, is when you tell it for the second time. Some people don't like to see movies for the second time. Some people don't like to read books for the second time. I love it. And here's why. Like Reese right now, my son Reese, is infatuated with Star Wars. And I don't mean like he talks about it sometimes. Everything in his life is Star Wars right now. He loves, he's a good boy. Everything, he loves Star Wars. And um, so we, we're, I'm watching these movies with him again. Sometimes I'll, I'll watch a little bit of it beforehand to remember, is it okay for him to watch these? And I look back and go, yeah, man, things have changed considerably. Star Wars is nothing compared to what's out there now. So we're watching these Star Wars movies together. And the thing is, the first time I watched Star Wars, I was young, and I just didn't care as much as he does. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand it all. If you, if you watch Star Wars now, you realize, and you start taking notes about who belongs to who and whose son is who and whose... Uh, you realize, and, you know, the movies started in a weird progression and then they came out with a couple more and they actually take place in time before those. That's a lot for a four-year-old, you know what I'm saying? It's a lot for me to, to get my brain around. And at the time I watched them, I didn't really care about the whole story. I just wanted to see the fight scenes and the lightsabers and those kinds of things. Reese wants to know every detail. He wants to know, he'll ask me questions like this, Dad... Did Yoda ever meet Anakin? I mean, I have to think through the movies. Well, I guess, I don't know. I, we don't really know, Reese. And Reese will say, well, make it up. Because <laughs> he can't stand the, th- the thought that the movie is all there is. That there's got to be more to that story, right? And I'll say, buddy, I'm not going to make it up. This is a real story. And, and the, the truth is, the, the older I get, the more I love to watch movies for the second time. Because when I can watch them for the second time, I can look at them in the context of what I know is going to happen in the end. I, the older I get, when I was young, I didn't want to know what's happening in the end. But the older I get, the more I want to see what's going on later. You know what I'm saying? And I, I watch Star Wars, and I, I, and I hear Luke say something. Luke Skywalker say something, and I think, Darth Vader's his dad. And the way he said that is much more meaningful now that I know that. But the first time I saw it, I didn't know that it was his dad. So, so being able to get that perspective makes me watch the movie differently. When it comes to the Bible, one of the reasons I love reading the Bible is because this is the story of creation. And as we get through more and more through the the story, 
um, we're going to see that it goes from the beginning of creation all the way to Revelation, which is a prediction, and what God is telling us is going to be what the world's going to be like at the end. So we can effectively read this book, which if you haven't heard about the story, it's amazing. It takes the Bible, puts it in chronological order so it reads like a novel. And we can read this book and see us. We can see the story of everyone. But the cool thing about it is we can, we can see a story like what we read this week, if you read um, in, in the story. We can see this story from beginning to end, and we can, we can read it. We can read it again. We can look at different parts of it. We can see the entire perspective on the story, and that is so important this week. It's so important this week. Many of you I, I've talked to um, are going through some really hard things in your life, and and uh, one of the things that has brought me some peace in those times is to, to read some of the predictions that, that God makes about our life and about the end of time. And if you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you believe that, that uh, he died on the cross for your sins and you are going to heaven, you win. In the end, when it all boils down, the promise of heaven, the promise of grace, the promise of peace, in the end, you win. And, and there's nothing better than that. In this story, this week, um, we read about a group of people um, called the Israelites, and we continue in their story. And if you've read through this, you know that this is a group of people that God has, uh, has chosen for no reason. It's just absolutely no reason. I love this. My, my mom uses this term, and I'm sure she didn't make it up, but she uses it a lot. It's unmerited favor. That's the, the phrase that she uses, and she uses that to describe her grandkids, Reese and London, that just love her unconditionally, no matter what. When she comes into the room, they explode. Now, looking at it from a distance, it's because she's always got food or a toy or something to give them. That, that's part of it. But she said when she has the worst day, when she's made a bad decision at work, when she's messed up, when she's living in sin again, when she's all these things, she walks in and she sees London and Reese, and there's this unconditional, she calls an unmerited favor from my kids. There is this thing with God that is unmerited favor. I don't deserve it. The life I've lead leads me to a whole nother kind of problem when it comes to God. But he chooses this group of people who is so messed up. He, fa- he, he chooses a bunch of slaves, and he says, I'm going to rescue you. You're going to be my people. Now, I'm not just going to choose you just so we can kind of do life together. We're going to do life together, and then I'm going to show the world through you that I am full of grace that I am the God of all creation. That was the plan. They, he does these incredible miracles. And if you've been watching um, the Bible on, on the History Channel, you've seen some of these miracles. It's really pretty cool the way they, they piece some of this stuff together. And you see the ebb and flow of this group of people. And what I want you to do, if, as you're reading the story, and if you haven't read or you haven't listened to my sermons, that's okay, just go back and do it. Um, but you can, uh, you, can, you can get some perspective on them and get some perspective on their life because here's the, pro- here's the thing. That group of Israelites is a metaphor for your life, for my life personally. We can look at this group of Israelites, the ebb and flow and what they go through in their life and what they go through as a group of people and as a nation and say, that is me. In fact, some of these prophets, um, God intervenes with prophets every now and then to say, you guys are going in the wrong direction. You need to go this way instead of that way. And these prophets just tell some incredible stories. And we're going to hear some even coming up um, from some of these minor prophets, just some incredible stories about specific instances where God has had unmerited favor on people. 
He chooses this group of people, and they keep screwing up. And if you're like me, I, I've been getting Facebook messages and emails all, a lot from you guys as you're reading this, saying things like, what is wrong with these people? God performs all these miracles right in their face. He parts the Red Sea right in their face. And 30 days later, they're worshiping another God. And then I'll get an email from you that says, man, if God would part the Red Sea in my life, I would never turn back from him. I'm like, yeah, you would. It's, it's human nature. And we see it in them over and over and over. But there's this frustration. And I want you to know that that frustration is good. If you're reading this and you feel that frustration, it's because you know it's you. Just when you think things are good, just when you think you're in the right place, you make a stupid decision. And I talked to Kenny this morning who was baptized last week. It was one of the really cool times for me. I just love that guy. And he was in the baptistry, and I told him, and I said to all of you, if you were here last week, I said, Kenny's being baptized today. There's, there's nothing in this water that's special. I mean, there's nothing about this water that's special. We just believe it's... And, you know, the, the, and when he came up, we, we hugged, and I said, I love you. He said, I love you. And when I saw him this morning, he said, you know what? I, I disagree with you. There's got to be something in that, because I haven't smoked since I got baptized. I got, and he started down this list of things that have changed in him. I still believe there's nothing in that water. But I believe there's something that happens to you when you say, I choose today. Now, I've got to let you know, those of you who've made this choice, you know what's coming next. You will fall. There will be a time. You will have opportunities where you go, what was that? And you hit yourself upside the head. But there is this promise from God that if you read the Old Testament well, if you read it carefully, and that's why it's so important that you stick with us on this, you realize the true nature of God is incredible. And it's about grace. Now, when I grew up, I remember this, hearing this in Bible college, that the Old Testament, we see a God of wrath. And in the New Testament, we see a God of grace. I, the older I get, the more I hate that message. Now, the truth is, we see a lot of wrath in God. In fact, if you read the Old Testament and you don't read the New Testament, you get the impression that God is a grumpy, angry, jealous, mean person and being. And the truth is, when he has to be, he is. And as we get into the New Testament, you'll see a different part of God. But here's the thing. I, I love the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament scares me a little bit. It's the same God. It's the same God. It reminds me, and I've used this illustration a few times through this story, that of my dad. When I was growing up, my dad, when he needed to be, he's got a big, booming, loud, scary voice. And I can remember to this day, he can sit me down from across the room with a look. He just is scary. But, you know, I think back on that, and I think, boy, I must have just been little. I must have just had a, you know, a time in my life where my dad was scared of me. But the truth is, it's still in him. Now, now he cries at the drop of a hat. He does. He's worse than Rick Finney. Okay, maybe not that bad, but he's bad. He's close. He, he, he's emotional. He loves on my kids. He's got, my dad has a dog. That he, he takes this dog, it's disgusting. He takes this dog, looks it in the face and goes, Asha boo 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 boo. <laughs> I think back on my life when I was in fifth grade, I would have never bet that was the same guy. Here's the thing about my dad. He, he, when he needed to be, when I was young and I, I was growing and I was testing the ropes, man, he had the discipline thing and he's good at it and he was scary. And here's what I knew there are consequences for screwing up. And I love you enough, I ain't going to let you do it more than once or twice in my house. 
You're going to hear from me. I'm going to punish you. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to continue and continue. You can call me what you want. You can wish you had a different dad. I am going to stay the course. I remember that in my dad. And now as I get older, recently, not that recently, I guess it's been a couple years ago, but it feels recent to me, my, my family went through yet another divorce. My brother's gone through a really hard couple, time, couple years, and I saw that anger in my dad again. And I'll I, I never forget when, he, when I heard about it, he got so angry, and I saw that fire from fifth grade. I remember that fire. It's still in my dad. It's still there. And I want you to know that that's part of, when you read the Bible, when you read this story, you're going to see a God who is angry, You're going to see a God who has jealousy. You're going to see a God who does things that don't make sense to you. You're going to see a God who disciplines people he loves to keep them from going too far from where they need to be. And you're going to go, wow, that guy is scary. But I want you to know that it's all about grace. It's an amazing thing. Next slide. I've got to get moving. I'm not even to my first slide yet. There's thing, this thing that happens um, in the story, and it happens over and over and over again. And if you've been asleep here, you can wake up for this because you're going to really like this, especially if you're a guy and you like, like the diehard movies and you like the kind of uh, action movies. Because what happens is you get into the Bible and you read for a little bit, and you, you, things seem to go pretty well, and you kind of hear they're building a new ark or they're building, here's some specs, and you kind of get, uh, you know, the Ark of the Covenant comes up, and you see lots of specs, and you see rules, and you start getting kind of bored. And then all of a sudden... They make some bad mistakes. They, they, enough is enough with God. And, and I don't know when that is. Now, I hear this, and I see it on Facebook all the time, and I hear this from an older generation of people more than I hear it from a younger generation of people, but they say this, God's not going to take much more of what we're doing in this world. And I want to say, how do you know? Jesus himself said, nobody knows the time. <laughs> nobody knows the place. Stop trying to guess. I, I don't know when enough is enough for God. I know that sometimes I look at the news and I go, I don't know how he can take it anymore. <laughs> but at this point in history and in the Bible, we see some times where God just goes, uh-uh. And when he does, it opens up, he opens up the, the floors of the earth and people fall in cracks and people die. I mean, this is incredible what happens. It kind of reminds me sometimes of Saturday afternoons in my family. When Risha's been with the kids all day, it's snowy or it's rainy and we can't go outside and we're all in the house and the dog's barking and the kids are going nuts and, and the floors almost open up in our house at some point. Enough is enough. In Jeremiah, we see God says enough is enough. And he takes a group of people who are living, he takes the Israelites who are living in a land that they promised, that God promised to them, And he says, enough is enough. I'm going to kick you out of this land that I promised, and it's going to be worse than you think. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says this, my people have committed two sins. Now, when you read this stuff, you've got to dig into this a little bit. My people have committed two sins. That's a euphemism. That's absolutely a metaphor. Um, They've committed many more than two sins. But basically what God is saying here through the prophet Jeremiah is my people have committed two sins that have made enough enough for me. Two sins that have put me over the edge. It happens in my home. Risha is a really laid-back person. I'm a really laid-back person. Well, she's a laid-back person. I'm uptight. But when it comes to our kids, I think we're both pretty laid-back. And we, we can deal with a lot, and we can kind of push it, and we can discipline them and say it nice. But there's a couple things you can do in my house that push me over the edge, especially if the dog has just pooped on the floor for the third time in the day. If you talk back to your mom... 
in my house, it, man, I'll tell you, you can get away with a whole lot of things in my life, but if it happens and you have talked back to your mom in a bad voice, things are going to get ugly quick. And God has a couple of those things. And I need you to wake up today and hear these things because they're still true in your life today. There's a couple of things for God that will push him over the edge sometimes when it comes to the discipline he puts in our life. And he says this. Go back that one. I didn't finish that, Tanya. I know it seems like I should have. My people have committed two sins. First, they have forsaken me. You know what he means by this? It means this. When he says they have forsaken me, the word there, I mean, the original language means something like they've looked in my face. They have seen exactly what the right thing to do is. They have listened to what I've told them to do. And they have intentionally turned the opposite direction. They've intentionally not done what I asked them to do. Now, in my house, you know what we call that? You've, you know exactly if you're a parent. That's, I, you have deliberately disobeyed me. Isn't that funny? Because there, we put these levels on disobedience. Because there's sometimes where Reese just gets up and moving, he's crazy, and he says something out of, just kind of out of craziness. And I realize, you know, it just kind of came out of his life. We still have to punish him, but it just kind of came out of his life. There's another time, though, when you've said it for the eighth time, and you say, and I just, this just happened to me this week, Reese, I'm giving you one more warning. If you do that again, it's going to be bad. And he looks me in the face. Looks me right smack dab in the face. Now, London has never one time in her life done this. It's different kids, different things. You, you may be like this. You may be more like Reese than like London. And I, the reason I tell stories about my kids is this is what God does. This is what Jesus does. He says, this is, God is the Father. And I'm telling you, he looks down at us, and every now and then we look God right in the face, and he goes, don't you? And you look him in the face, and you do it. Again, the Israelites have done it again. They have forsaken God. That's what it means when you read that forsaken God. The next thing he says, they have forsaken me the spring of living water, which basically means this, they have forsaken me, and if they just realize all they have to do is listen to me, and they will have a spring of living water at that point is the center of life. Wherever there's a spring of water, they call it living water because it keeps coming and water is one of the most important things in our lives. God says if they just realize that if they would listen to me, if they would look at me, if they would do what I ask them to do, that I am what they're looking for. I am the spring of life. And sometimes as a preacher, as your preacher, I look around and I, I see it in you guys. I read your Facebook posts. I'm a Facebook stalker. You don't see much of me on Facebook. <laughs> but I know what's going on. I read a lot. And I look at you, and I love you, and I pray with you on Sundays, and then on Tuesday you pay, post this thing, and I go, what? That won't get you where you want to go. That's not, what, that's not what we prayed about. That's not what we talked about. That's not you. God goes, these people have forgotten that I am the source of everything that they are really wanting. And then he says this, and I love this. They have dung, dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What he means by that? is that, that they have begun to trust themselves. They've built their own. Instead of going to the springs of living water, they've built their own wells underground that are broken and leaking. And they're a mess. And so he continues to, to uh, they continue to conti just push past whatever God has for them and continue on their own track. So here's the thing. Just to like make this real clear. God has had enough, and here's why. Next slide. Forsaking God and digging your own cisterns. 
I'm going to ask you to right now, before we go any further in the story, because we've already said, the Israelites, their story, that's you. That's me. Where in your life have you forsaken God? What is it that over and over and over and over and over you have looked God in the face, you know what is right, you have looked him in the face and gone, <laughs> man, it's scary. This is what the Israelites are doing. Where is it in your life that you've decided, you know what, I don't need God. I don't want his rules. I think I know better. I'm going to build my own life. I'm going to set my own course. I'm going to move in my own direction because I know what's good for me. How is it? Where is it in your life that you've dug your own cisterns instead of dug into the spring of life? Now I've got to get moving. Next slide. So when enough is enough in Second Chronicles, the Israelites have had king after king after king. And if, if, you've, if you've been following this, you know that God didn't want them to have a king. And they came to him and they said, here's the thing, God, everybody else has one. You know that, that's what your kids do. But dad, everybody else has one. They have a Nintendo. Dad. And God says, here's the thing. I don't want you to have a king because I want to be your king. And all the rest of the nations have a king because they believe their king is God. And that he actually provides for them and that he takes care of them. And, that he, and he said, I don't want you to have a king because you might get the idea that that king is actually your God. And so they go, no, we won't. We just want a king so everybody else knows that we're a viable nation. We have a king like everybody else. And God, just like a lot of times in scriptures, this is a whole other sermon, just like another, another, a lot of times in scriptures, when you come to God and you say, God, this is what I think I need in my life, but I'll do whatever you want, sometimes God goes, okay. And in this case... God says, okay, here's a king, and he raises up a king, and there were some good kings, and mostly there were some bad, gross, stupid, idiotic kings that took over, that acted like they were in charge, and they did not follow God. God said, as long as your king realizes that I'm still in charge, that I'm the one who controls everything, that I love you, that I created you, as long as that happens, I will continue to bless you. But as soon as your king leads you in the wrong direction, as soon as your king decides that he's the one that provides life to you, things change, and it gets bad. This group of people has one king after another, and at this point in history, it's kind of funny how this works, and you're about to see it if you're watching the Bible and the History Channel. These kings raise up, and they're maybe eight years old when they take the throne. <laughs> eight, ten, twelve years old. And the only way they know how to rule is how their dad ruled. So, year, so king after king after king is a stupid, dumb idiot. <laughs> I don't know other way to say it. They push away from God. They lead places that are terrible. So in Second Chronicles 33.1, God has enough with this king. And he says this, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became the king. Twelve. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nation that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. I want to get you a picture of this. I know I've got to get moving. But the detestable acts, what God means by that, are sexual. And you know what those are? Some sexually detestable things going on in this, in, in this kingdom that are supposed to be the people that God, the people are looking to, to see who God is. And God sees that, and then the other thing that detestable means is that they would have been doing probably child sacrifice on a regular basis. That this group of people that took the Ten Commandments from God and have gotten so far away from what God wants them that they are now sacrificing children and have forgotten what it's like to be close to God. Now you look at that and you go, man, 
they are bad people. They are awful. They deserve to get what's coming to them. But this is a picture of sin in your life. This is a picture of what happens when you look God square in the face over and over and over again. When you keep looking him in the face and going, "Uh uh-uh, I'm doing my thing. You drift. And a one little step towards child sacrifice. Now, many of you go, are you comparing my life to child sacrifice today? I probably wouldn't do that. But I can tell you, when your son grows up and he sees the mess that you've made, he sees the one step you've taken further from God, his next step's going to be a little further. And his son's next step's going to be a little further. And someday, it's going to lead to this kind of mess. This is the promise of the Israelites. This is the promise of the story. If you don't stop it now, it will get here. This is gross. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. This is basically just saying there are other gods, the God of Israel. He's just one of our options. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. Astrology. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry hosts. He sacrificed his children in the fire of the valley of Ben-Hanam. He sacrificed his own babies. This is how far the king of the Israelites had gotten. He practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord. And don't let this last sentence be ever said of you. Arousing his, that's God's, anger. You don't want to do anything that arouses God's anger. That's foreboding, that sentence. And if you've read this week, you know how scary this story is. Next slide. So here's what happened. The Lord said through his servants, the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. Now that word detestable, remember that again. And remember too, this is not just a bad guy. This is what happens to us when we read the Bible. We say, oh, this is an evil man. This is not just an evil man. This is the product of a son 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 who have drifted slowly into this kind of hell. And it's not far from us. You understand that this morning. This is important. This is not just a bad man. This is a man who has gone down the roads that many of us go down and say it's just a little thing. It's just a white lie. This is where it leads. Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him, and he has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I'm going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I prayed today that your ears would tingle. I haven't seen anybody itching. I'll stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. That's everything. I will wipe, look at this, I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. Wiping it and turning it upside down. Can you imagine? I I want you to put yourself in this picture this morning. A prophet comes in on this stage, walks in here, and goes, all right, new life. All right, Paragon, God's had it. Too long have you been screwing up. 
Too long have you led your families down roads that don't lead to him. Too long. So here's what's going to happen. God's going to wipe you like a dirty dish. The ground is going to open up. Now, what would you do if I came and said that this morning? Please put quotations over what I just said, okay? (laughs) What would you do? Your first thought would be to go as you walk home, as you drive home, man, that guy is a lunatic. (laughs) Now, you may say that anyway. That guy is messed up. And that's what happened. They completely wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and give them into the hands of the enemies. They will be looted and plundered by their enemies. They have done evil in my eyes and have aroused my anger. There it is again. From the day their ancestors came out of Egypt until this day. Enough is enough. Next slide. So the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. But they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner, but put a hook in his nose, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. Let me tell you what happens next if you didn't read this week. From there, led like a pig with a hook in his nose, this king watches all the people that he loves in his life die brutally in front of him. Now, as a preacher, four or five years ago, I would have stayed away from this piece of Scripture. I really would have, because I don't like to preach this. But i got to point something out on this slide right here that I believe is absolutely true, and I want to be very careful with how I say this. But there are some things that happen in life that bring hell to earth. Sometimes those things are the product of a broken world. Sometimes those things aren't anybody's fault that God did not cause them. Sometimes, read this slide, so the Lord brought against them the army commanders. In this case, this king got a hook in his nose and watched his family die, not because the world is broken, but because God caused it. Man, it got quiet in here. I want you to know this morning, I'm the kind of preacher that wants to talk about love, peace, joy, hope. All those worlds come real easily for me. One thing that doesn't come easy for me is to say that sometimes God causes this kind of hell. I'll never forget when I was in fifth grade. I was having a problem with lying. I was having a problem with grades. I was having a problem with everything. And the anger of my dad came out. And I'll never forget the day that he grounded me for three months. And I remember thinking, I am, my social life is gone. I am never going to have a girlfriend. I'm never going to have a friend again. He, he kept me from playing basketball that year. And, of course, as a fifth grader, I thought I was going to be in the NBA. And my dad was screwing up my life. And I was going to be able to point back to fifth grade. Maybe it is his fault. (laughs) I couldn't play basketball because I was grounded. And I remember thinking at the time, this is my dad's fault. Everything that happens right now is my dad's fault. This hell that I'm going through, I know it sounds funny, but as a fifth grader, this was hell for me. And my dad did this. I want you to know I'm so thankful for that. So thankful for that. I believe he nipped in the butt what has been a constant struggle in my life. But at that point, if he hadn't nipped it, it would have been 
it would have led me into prison, I know. The little white lies that I was telling, the, the issues I was having at school were huge for my life. And my dad felt awful, and he cried at night. And there were these awful conversations, and he remembers. And my family calls it the big boom. Those times where we had these explosions in our house. And I've got to let you know this right now. None of you want to see God as the one that causes this. Not one of us wants to see this in God. And I'm a stupid, terrible preacher if I stand up here and tell you that sometimes he isn't the most amazing dad on the planet who just makes life suck for you. Because it's the only way to get it back. Do you understand where I'm going today? There are some times in life where life happens because it's just natural causes and the world is broken. But there are other times that God uses it to shape and make you. And here's the thing. If you're a dad, if you're a mom, if you want to be the kind of mom and dad that shape and move your kids to be the kind of people, you better have a big boom every now and then. You better have a time where you discipline so bad that it hurts everyone in the house because that's the only way sometimes to move into where you're going. So some of you today are living through a marriage that is hell because the man in your marriage has been so addicted to pornography for so long that he can't get away from it. And the only way you're going to get moved to do the right thing and come out with it and make a change in your life is to have your life such hell that you don't have anywhere else to go. This is what God has done here. And I don't want you to miss it. You know how many times I've preached this sermon and not said this? That this is the discipline of God sometimes. And it is absolutely here. Next slide. Man, I'm spitting all over the stage. You guys need a parka or something up here. <laughs> There's a couple reasons for this hell on earth. One is natural consequences of a broken world. And the second is that God directs it with redemption as the goal. Here's the thing about God's discipline. Redemption is always the goal. Here's the thing about your discipline as a mom or dad. If you're in here and you've got a kid that's just, whoo, that's the only way you can say it, whoo, strong-willed, hard, maybe a product of some issues going on in the house, whatever, and you're trying to do the right thing, I want you to know, good discipline, discipline that leads in the right direction is always redemptive, always leads an opportunity to get better, always leads the kid somewhere better. Does, isn't just about your anger. Isn't just about you having your way or you proving that you're king of your house. This is about redemption. Every time God disciplines, it's about redemption. And this story is no different. Look at that last line. God, if you don't hear anything else I say, read, one of the things, if you don't hear anything else I say, man, I've tried really hard today. I'm spitting all over the stage. But write this down. God is more concerned with your eternal comfort, that's where you're going to be, heaven or hell, than he is with your temporary comfort. That's the way my dad was. I don't care what you feel right now. What I'm concerned about is when you're 30 years old and you have a family. That's God's feeling for us. Next slide. I've got to get moving. Look at this. But while in his deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord and his his God, and sincerely humbled himself before the God of our ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. Now, if you're a mean dad and you just did a mean thing to your kid just to show that you're in charge, just to show that you're, you're not going to mess me over as a dad and I'm in charge of this house, then when your kid comes in and goes, Dad, I'm so sorry, what you do is go, well, that's what you get. But if you're always after redemption, when your son, your daughter comes back and goes, Dad, I'm so sorry I screwed up. I don't want to be this person. I want to follow you. You go, come over here, man. 
climb up in the recliner. This is where you belong. And what I did was to get you here. Are you getting this picture? I want you to get this picture today. Look at Manasseh. So far from God that he has burned his own babies. So far from God that he is totally away from the person that he's created to be. And it took putting a ring through his nose. I'm praying this morning that some of you don't wake up in the morning with a ring through your nose. Now, some of you do that intentionally, I know. (laughs) But it got so bad for Manasseh that God said, the only way I was going to get you back is to let you go. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. You know what that means? Manasseh finally said, he's God and I'm not. That's where God wants you. And I'm speaking on behalf of God this morning. Sometimes it all costs. That's where God wants you. To realize that he's in charge and you're not. And that when you finally realize that, the spring of hope, the spring of joy, that wellspring that is God will live in you and it will change who you are. Manasseh also removed the foreign gods and the idols from the Lord's temple. This is why Kenny hadn't had a cigarette this week. It, it makes you want to be different, doesn't it? It changes who you are. This changes who you are. It changed Manasseh. He tore down all the altars and he built on the hill where the temple stood and all the altars that were in Jerusalem and he had dumped them outside the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it. He also encouraged the people of Judah to do what? Worship the real God. The God of Israel. You see my little note up there next to the arrow? This is what I want you to think about with this. All the mess, all the terrible things that happen, grace wins. Love wins. God wins. Next slide. The truth about grace is that God's style of discipline has grace at its root. The truth about grace is that God's story is first and foremost about His grace. This is why I want you to read the whole story. Everything is about God's grace and His move to get people back. By the way, grace is the fuel that drives every story. If you're here today and you hear me say every now and then, go talk to your neighbor about Jesus. I don't know how I do that. Talk about grace. Talk about who you were before and how it's changed you. Because it's the best part of every story, isn't it? It's when the prodigal son comes home. It's when the kid finally gets back with his dad or when the two people finally come together even after they have done awful things to each other. God wants grace to be the fuel that drives your story. That means when you go home today and your kids screw up again, and they will, and it may be worse today than ever, then everything you do is driven by grace. Everything you do is driven by redemption. Next slide. I love this. And then we're done. Band, you guys can come up. That'll make me hurry. Ezekiel 37.1. This is the end of this week's story. I love it. This is hope. You might have thought this was really weird, and it is. That's part of the reason I love the Bible. This is really weird. So after all this, okay, so you've seen all this happen. The kings have been awful. They deserve everything they've gotten from God. One king goes back and goes, God, I screwed up. I want, I want you to be the God of my life. I want you to be the God of Israel again. And God restores hope to this place. And this is what happens. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. Ezekiel is a prophet of God. And he's standing out in the desert. 
and God's talking to him. I wish this would happen to me. You'd think I'm even crazier, but it's never happened. The hand of the Lord was on me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Okay, picture this. I'm almost done. Just, I need you to picture this with me. He led me back and forth among the bones. So Ezekiel's walking in a valley in the desert, and there's just bones everywhere. And he's just walking back and forth. He says that God led him. I don't know what that's like. I don't know how that, that feels, but he, he was feeling like God was moving him through these bones among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. These are old bones that haven't had life in them for years. Sometimes I feel like I'm preaching to old bones. <laughs> not always and not very often, but sometimes we just sit there. You know what I'm saying? And nothing changes. And we walk out of here like zombies. Ezekiel gets so tired of preaching to dry bones. He's so tired of talking to people who won't put into action what they get motivated to do. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know that. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. You will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. Next slide, Tanya. So I prophesied and I was commanded. And I was prophesying. There was a noise, a rattling sound. <laughs> it's going to happen. And the bones came together. You, next time somebody tells you the Bible is boring, you ask them if they've ever read about the part where the skeleton dances. Rattling sound, the bones came together. Bone to bone, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, it's emotional for me, prophesy to breathe to breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slains. You see, I got to get you into this picture. The, God raised up the bones, but you know who he used to put breath in them? Just a stupid man. That's what I prayed for you. Now this stupid man could breathe life into you today. Some of you are doing the same thing you've been doing. You're looking God in the face and you're saying, I'll do it again. Some of you are digging your, digging your own cisterns. You're counting on yourself. You're building your own 401k and you're saying, this is where I put my trust. And I want to say to you today, if you are living that way, you are dry bones. You have no life in you. God has given you an opportunity to raise up the hope. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up out of them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I've done it, declares the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had the power of God in you. Some of you have been Christians a long time and have never actually lived it. I know that. I did for a long time. I give you the opportunity today to hear this story and go, God, I, I need breath. I need life. Some of you need to, your bones put back together. It's been so long. 
since you've done anything other than just go through the paces of life, digging your own cisterns. Next slide, last today. Have you, have you forsaken God in your life? Give you an opportunity to do what Manasseh did today and go, God, I've screwed up. I don't want to be this. Maybe some of you have dug your own cisterns. You've put the trust in your own. Some of you don't know it today, but grace wins. And hope endures. I'll give you an opportunity. I'm going to go right back to that corner. I put it all out there today. I believe that God has in this space today is ready to move in your heart. He's ready to say it's time to, to breathe life. We'll give you the opportunity to do that today. If you want to, come forward, go back to the back.